Welcome to Alpha and Omega Ministries International. This ministry is committed to bringing apostolic alignment and restoration of the values and principles of the Kingdom of God to the body of Christ. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. Seeing that it is Pentecost Sunday today, it is only fit and proper that we speak about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in order to lay a foundation on what the Lord has placed upon my heart to share with you this morning, we're going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 26, John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 12 through to 15, and 1 John, chapter 2, verse 27. Shivon, have all three verses of Scripture placed, please, on the overhead. The first one is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus is speaking to His disciples, and He's preparing them for His departure, and yet He has the most comforting words uh, to give them so that they're not overwhelmed by His departure and His absence. And He tells them about the Helper whom He calls the Holy Spirit, the Helper, and we read, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. Please notice the all things. There is nothing that the Holy Spirit is not able to teach us. And even if we have teachers in the body of Christ and evangelists and pastors, though they may teach the Word, it is the Spirit that takes those words and makes them life and light to us, opens them up, and brings further revelation and deep spiritual understanding concerning the things that we are being taught. Amen? So the Holy Spirit can teach us directly or indirectly through a vehicle or a messenger of His. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 12 through to 15, we read, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself in person could not communicate the very things that he wanted to impart to his disciples because they were not ready to receive them. He said to them, I have many things to say to you, but you are not able to hear them or to bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you, he will teach you, he will show you things to come. In other words, Jesus was saying to them, I'm going to send you someone better than myself. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will be in you, not beside you, 
Jesus was beside the disciples. He was at one place at a time. He couldn't be everywhere at the same time. Amen? He walked beside them. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. He ministered with them. Yet, despite the closeness that they enjoyed with the person of Jesus in the flesh, Jesus could not impart to them the deeper truths that he wanted to communicate. And he waited for the Spirit to come who would live not beside them, but in them. Amen? And he will guide them and teach them concerning all things. Do you know that today we have something far better than the people in those days who had the person of Jesus in the flesh walking with him? So many people so often say, oh, I wish I was, and I wish I lived in those days and have walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, and fellowshiped with Jesus. Yet the Lord said, I have something far better for you. And that is the person of the Holy Spirit, who is the helper. I will send you another just like me, who will not be beside you, but he will be in you. That is why the Apostle Paul, writing to Corinthians, he said to them, From henceforth we know no man after the flesh. Even though we have known Jesus after the flesh, we know him no more. But we know him how? In the Spirit. The glorified, risen Christ who has come to live inside of us through the person of the Holy Spirit, both the Father and the Son living in you by the person and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and the Father will love you, and he will come and remain and abide in you, and the Son will come and abide in you. Amen? So we have someone far better today who lives within us, as close as any person could ever be. Amen? I think we have so undervalued the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and have not emphasized and taught enough concerning this precious gift that Christ has sent to us. Now, Notice what he says to them. Not only he will guide you into all truth, but he will also tell you of things which are to come. That means the Spirit, as you are in fellowship with the Spirit, as you communicate with the Spirit, he will reveal to you your future your destiny, your calling, what awaits you down the road. Why does he do that? So that you are adequately prepared for what God has prepared for you. What price can you put on that? And many times in my walk with the Lord, as I've been praying and communicating with the Lord and fellowshipping in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, I would see pictures, I would see um, visions of my future long before I got there. That was so precious and so valuable because it helped me to prepare for what God has prepared for me. 
So when it came time for me to make adjustments or transition myself or realign myself as the Spirit led me, they didn't take me by surprise. I was already, I was ready to go because I've seen it long before it was time to move. You need to seek for that in your life. You need to search for God because He has a wonderful future and a wonderful destiny for each one of us. Amen? Your destiny is not as same as mine. Your giftings are not the same as mine, but nevertheless, you have a calling, you have a destiny. Whether you, you will fulfill that destiny, it all depends how close you walk to God and how close you are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jeremiah said, I know the plans. Rather, God said through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. They are good plans. They are plans of prosperity and blessing and abundance and fruitfulness. But then he doesn't stop there. Most of us stop there and we say, we, we, we quote that scripture, God has wonderful plans for me. I know the plans that God has for me. They are wonderful plans, plans of peace and blessing. But the Lord goes on to say, if you will pray to me, I will answer you and show you those plans. It's no good for God knowing the plans. You have to know them. How can you walk in them if you don't know them? And then he says, you will seek me and you will find me when? When you search for me with all of your heart. There is something that we need to do. We're going to have to seek the Lord. We're going to have to search for Him with a hunger, with a desire to know those plans and to embrace those plans and to receive the revelation of what is to come concerning our lives, our ministry, our children, our grandchildren, our future. And when you search God with a diligent heart, with an undivided heart, the Lord will meet with you you will have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And when you have an encounter with the Spirit, you can never remain the same again. God wants to have an encounter with you and I on a regular basis. And I've had some of those encounters. They have changed my way of thinking. They have changed my way of, my way of seeing things. They have changed my, the course of my destiny, my future, and my life. It was when I had that wonderful encounters with the Lord, when I set time aside, when I sought the Lord with my whole heart, when I fasted, when I prayed, when I cried out to the Lord, then God met me and changed my way of thinking and showed me things to come. He's not going to show you things to come in your own life if you're indifferent, if you don't value the ministry or the person of the Holy Spirit. You need to stand on these words, and you need to believe them and seek God through these promises and say, Lord, you promised that you will show me things to come. I want to know what awaits me. It's your promise, and I'm seeking you for it. 
Show me your plans. Show me your heart. Show me your desires. Show me what you prepared for me. And if you diligently do that, the Lord will find you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Amen? And we also read the final verse that we have here, 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. Now John here calls him the anointing. You know the word Christ in Greek is anointed. That's what it means. It's not Jesus' last name. It's Jesus the anointed, Jesus the Christ, the anointed and His anointing. That's why John here calls the Spirit the anointing. The anointed and His anointing. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, And is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. You see, that anointing enables you or helps you to remain in Christ throughout the day. As you fellowship with Him, as you pray, as you communicate, as you converse, as you ask questions. Like this morning, you know, every Sunday, Lord, how do you want to do this today? What kind of service do you want to have? What do you want to minister on? How do you want to close the service? We need to talk to the Spirit about everything, about your life, about your relationships, about your work, about your friends, about the ministry that He has called you, and fellowship with Him, and talk to Him, and ask Him questions. He will answer you. Amen? Because He lives in you. He's a person. He's not a thing. He's a spiritual being living on the inside of you, And he's there not to be a hitchhiker, but to help, to assist, to encourage, to teach, to guide, to lead, and to impart the very will of God, the very very strength of God in your spirit and renew your mind. That's his ministry. That's why he was sent. Amen? The ministry of the Holy Spirit, listen, in the life of the born-again believer, is of vital importance if you and I desire to live the way Christ commands us to live in this world. You cannot live the Christian life without the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. We need to be immersed in the person of the Holy Spirit, strengthened by His Spirit in our inner man, so that we can walk the way Jesus commands us to walk. In fact, John says, because as he is in this world, so are we. This is staggering. As he is, so are we in this world. How is Jesus? Defeated? Broke? Discouraged? Confused? Hopeless? No, sir. He is victorious. And this is the victory that overcomes the world and everything that the world sends 
or throws at us, even our faith. Our faith in the person who lives within us to guide and lead us in order to overcome every challenge, every trial, every test. As he is, so are we. Do you really believe that? We need to confess that and say it over and over again until our heart gets to embrace it and believe it and our mind is renewed with it. As you are, Lord, so am I in this world. Because I have your spirit living on the inside of me. We need to become God inside-minded and not be moved by what goes on around us, but be moved by what goes on inside of us, deep down in our hearts. Not moved by feelings, not moved by emotions, not moved by what you see, but what you believe. And we need to believe the Word of God. Being able to draw strength and wisdom from within when needed is the privilege and the inheritance of every born-again child of God. Do you know that? It's your privilege. It's your inheritance to be able to tap within by faith and draw whatever you need at the time whether you need comfort, whether you need direction, whether you need wisdom, whether you need whatever it is that you need, or words to speak to someone. The Word of the Lord says, The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. Believe that, so that I should know how to speak a word to him that is weary. Do you know how many people that are weary around you? How many people are broken and disillusioned and hopeless? God placed you in there and has given you the tongue of the learned by the power of the Spirit so that you know what to say to those who are weary and broken and discouraged and hopeless and bring life to them by the Word of the Lord and by the Spirit of the Lord, saying the right word at the right time. It is your privilege. It is your inheritance. It's my inheritance. Learning how to do this. How to do what? How to tap within and draw strength and receive strength and wisdom from within. Learning how to do this is the key to living life on a supernatural level. Disciples of Christ are not just natural beings. You need to know that you're not just flesh and blood. You're not just a natural being or a physical being. You are a supernatural being. Why? Because God Almighty and Son Almighty live within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're not natural. We are supernatural. The Bible calls us peculiar people, strange people. Amen? We live in two worlds at the same time, the natural and the spiritual. Amen? So you are a supernatural being because the supernatural Spirit of God lives within you. If you're born of the Spirit, then the Spirit lives within you. Amen? The way that Jesus taught us and instructed us to live is only possible 
by those who are born of the Spirit. Imagine this. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the believer. He's talking to the disciple, not to sinners. Sinners cannot love their enemies. They cannot do good to those that hate them. They cannot pray for those who spitefully use and persecute them. Only born-again people can do that. How do we do that? By the power and the ability of the Spirit within us, we are able to love our enemies. We are able to pray for those who spitefully use and persecute us. Why? Because we are supernatural beings and the supernatural power of God has come to live within us and the love of God, the Bible says, has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit that was given to us. It's not a matter of feeling or emotion. It's a matter of your choice and your will. The life of faith is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. I will love my enemies. I will pray for those who spitefully use and persecute me. I will do good to those who hate me. Those are some of the most valuable lessons I've learned as a disciple when I was going through the hardest times in my life. I've learned to pray and forgive those who persecuted me, who maligned me, who said all sorts of lies about me. I've learned to love them and pray for them. I do not hate anybody. In fact, you should not use the word hate. It should never be used in your vocabulary. Hate does not exist in the kingdom of God. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom, you should not hate anybody. Hello? And you hear sometimes ignorant people say, I, I hate this person. How can you say that you're a Christian and then you hate? Hello? It's not in our nature to hate. We have the DNA of God within us. The life and the nature of God lives within me. How can I say I hate so and so? Amen? We can love the worst sinner and the worst offender because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit. All we need to do is yield to that love rather than yielding to our emotions and to our flesh. Amen? Listen to what John said. We were born not of blood, John 1.13, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You were born of God. By the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, God has given you birth. You have the nature, the characteristics of your heavenly Father within your spirit, and those characteristics long to push the way out of you. If you will let him. The barrier of the flesh is the worst blockage. When we walk in the flesh, the very life of God cannot find expression through us. And that's why Jesus said, you need to take up your cross and die to self and die to your fleshly desires so that the very life and the very power of God can find expression through you as you communicate and fellowship with those around you. Amen. 
This is possible for us, folks, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Jesus uses two metaphors concerning the work and the ministry of the Spirit. They are both in John's Gospel. The one is found in John chapter 4 when he speaks to the woman of Samaria and asks her to give him some water to drink. And then you know the story. He has a conversation, and he says to the woman of Samaria, if you will ask me, I will give you water, and when you drink this water, you will never thirst again. The water that I give you will become a fountain of living water springing up within. You remember that? Remember what he said to the woman? Jesus refers to the Spirit as water. Just as natural water gives and sustains natural life, even so the Spirit gives spiritual and sustains our spiritual life. Amen? That's what Jesus uses the metaphor here. In John chapter 7, Jesus uses another metaphor, and He speaks about the Spirit and the effects of the Spirit upon those who receive the baptism of the Spirit. Notice what he said about those who would receive the Spirit. John chapter 7, verse 30, 37 to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, notice the prerequisite. What are we thirsting for? What are we seeking? What are we searching for? What is the desire of our hearts? What is the strongest desire or the strongest passion in your life? Is it God or is it the things of this world? What are we pursuing? When you lay still, quiet before the Lord, or when you are still and contemplate and meditate, what is that cry within your spirit? What do you desire? What do you thirst? What do you hunger for? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, notice what Jesus said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. No longer a fountain springing up into everlasting life, but he talks about rivers flowing out of our innermost being. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him... How many of you believe? Wonderful. We have a lot of believers here today. Would receive... For the Holy Spirit was not yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it speaks of the spirit of man. Out of your innermost being, out of your spirit man, will flow rivers of living water, because God's Spirit comes and lives within your spirit. The rivers will flow from within, not from without. Stop looking outside. Look within. They will flow from within. What are the rivers that Jesus is referring to? 
I believe the rivers he's talking about are not only the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing out of us, but also the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, faithfulness, patience, and all that. They will flow out of our innermost being when we believe. Now, that is exactly what Jesus intends for us to do in this life, in this world. That's exactly what Jesus wants you to do. Bring the life of God wherever you go. Bring the life of God wherever you step into. Whether you are at university, whether you are at work, whether you are at a shopping center, bring the life of God to those around you. They're desperately seeking to see Jesus. And they will never see Him until they see Him in us, working in us, flowing through us, through wisdom, through the gifts of the Spirit, encouragement, healings, prophecy, all of those things, they will flow from out of us if we believe. Now, there's a beautiful song that we used to sing years ago when I first got born again. Wonderful song. This goes like that. There's a river of life flowing out from me. Have you ever heard that song? Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. There is a river of life flowing out from me. What a beautiful song. That is scriptural. Life flows out of the believer. But for many of us, many of us, most of us, the majority of us, these rivers of living water have been cloaked and hidden away because of fear and intimidation. While for many others, are blocked with unbelief and disobedience. We need to take stock of our lives, folks, and we need to face truth and allow truth to change us as we repent. We have blocked the rivers of life. Not God, we have. When we don't believe what God says and we don't act on what God says, we're blocking the rivers. Not just a river. He said rivers of living water are going to flow out of you. When you are afraid of the face of men and you are intimidated of what they're going to say or what they're going to do, if you share Christ with them, what do we do? We are blocking and hiding and choking the very river of life of God from within us, from flowing out of us. The fear of man, listen to me, is one of the greatest obstacle, obstacles in releasing the life of God from within. How often you and I needed to speak to someone about the saving power of Christ, but we were held back because we were afraid of what they're going to do or what they're going to say or they might reject us. How many of you have been into that situation? Raise your hand. All of us have. How often the need arose to pray for a sinner for healing. 
because they complain to you about certain illness that they got. Jesus said, if you believe, these signs will follow the believer. Not the pastor, not the apostle, not the prophet, not the evangelist, but the believer. Are you a believer? He said, these signs will follow those who believe. Signs are not going to go ahead. They will follow after you have given them the word and prayed for them. How often we were confronted with a situation. Here is a sick person, a work colleague, or a friend. And you know in your heart, you could pray for that person in the name of Jesus. And if you do so with faith, the Lord will heal them. He said so. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Yet we did not do so because we were afraid or intimidated. Either by the sickness or the people. Or what they're going to say. Oh, they're going to think I'm so weird. Oh, they're going to think I'm a fanatic. I'm a religious nut. So what? We need to live life before one, not many. It's not what they say, what they think of you, is what he thinks of you. There is a river of life on the inside of you, longing desperately to flow and bring life to those who desperately need it because they're broken, they're lost. They are confused, they are hopeless, they are discouraged. They see no light at the end of the tunnel. And many of them take their own lives because the, 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 the atmosphere and the rooms they live in are so dark and painful. Paul addresses this fear in Timothy. Timothy was a bit timid. And in his letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, we read the following. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What gift is he talking about? Hmm? What gift do you think he's talking about? It is the gift of the Holy Spirit which you received when I laid my hands on you. You received the promise of the Spirit. You received the person of the Spirit. You received the baptism of the Spirit. But it's up to you, Timothy, to stir up the gift. Stir it up. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. How do you stir up the gift of God? It involves praying and praying in the Spirit. It involves studying the Scriptures and eliminating all ignorance concerning the person, the work, and the ministry of the Spirit in your life. You need to know the Word concerning the Spirit. And you need to pray in the Spirit. Because when you pray in the Spirit, you transcend from the natural world into the spiritual world. And you, what are you doing? You're speaking unto God directly. Mysteries, revelation, wisdom. You're not speaking to men. You're speaking to God. Yeah, pastor, but I don't understand what I'm saying. It's fine. You're not praying to you. You're praying to God. And your spirit is in touch with God's spirit in you. And He knows what you need to pray for. Your mind cannot understand it. Because your mind cannot fathom that deep. 
The Spirit searches all things, the Bible says, even the deep things of God. And then he, as you pray, he's searching, he's searching and finding words to give unto God so that he can do what you desperately need. And I want to tell you something. Your spirit is far more knowledgeable, far more educated than your mind is. I don't care how intellectual you are. There are certain things you cannot know but by the Spirit. Amen. Once they asked Brother Kenneth Hagin, what does he consider to be a, a truly spiritual person? You know what he said? It is the person who has in mind, who has his mind in agreement with his spirit, and they are in perfect harmony. There is natural understanding, there is spiritual understanding. When you're praying in the Spirit, you're stirring up the gift of God within you, and you receive what? Spiritual understanding, not natural understanding. And what we need most of all is not natural understanding, it's spiritual understanding. So when the Bible says, lean not unto your understanding, he's not referring to spiritual understanding. He's referring to your logic, to your natural intellect or natural understanding. But trust the Lord with all your heart, your spirit. Life is in your spirit. It is the dynamo that keeps you going. It is the dynamo that keeps you healthy and strong. It is the dynamo that empowers you to overcome the challenges of life, the trials of life, the fires of life. It's your spirit man. And if your spirit man is weak, you are weak, and you will falter in the day of trouble. The Bible says if you faint or if you falter in the day of adversity, how small is your strength? Can you imagine the life of God living in you and you fall over every time the devil blows at you? What an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. Let's wake up, church. Let's stir up the mighty one within us. Rise up, O God, within me, and let your enemies be scattered. There's a beautiful psalm beautiful verse of Scripture in the book of Psalms, speaking of God rising up. Rising up where? Not outside, from in us, scattering all of our enemies. Faith in God's Word, in what God says, is the key that releases the supernatural life of the Spirit. Faith in what God says concerning what I'm sharing with you today. And faith is not just words, it's action. Because you believe, you act on what you believe. So faith in the Word is the key that releases this supernatural life. Believing what God says about the anointing, acting on His Word, will release the life of God from us to those around us who are dying of ignorance in regards to the goodness of God and His willingness to heal and to restore every human life. He's the God of restoration. He is good in all of His ways. And this goodness 
lives within us, seeking ways of expression to touch lives and see them restored. There's nothing more wonderful in this world than a life that's been restored, than a marriage that's been restored, than a relationship that's been restored, than finances that's been restored because you had something to do in sharing the life of God with that person. Nothing, there's nothing in this world that can compare with the joy and the knowledge and the satisfaction you receive. You've been instrumental in touching someone's life and helping them come to a place of restoration. Folks, there are a lot of broken people around us. May God give us eyes to see. There are people you, I will never see, but you will see them. I'll never meet them, but you will meet them. And my task is to equip you and train you in such a way where you can share the life of God with those you meet. I will never see them, but you will see them. Amen? Now, as you notice, Jesus, in referring to the work of the Spirit, spoke about a fountain springing up to everlasting life, and then he spoke about rivers of life flowing from those who receive the Spirit. Here we see two distinct metaphors of the work of the Spirit. The one, the fountain springing up into everlasting life, is for personal ministry, meeting the needs of the believer, of the individual, while the other is for ministering to those whom God sends you to. That's Jesus by no accident. It is no accident that he referred to these two when he spoke about the work of the Spirit. He used the fountain springing up unto everlasting life, and then he spoke about rivers flowing out from our innermost being. Now, the fountain, as I said, is for your own personal ministry, meeting your own needs, healing you of your own hurts, of your own brokenness, bringing you into a state of refreshing and restoration. The woman of Samaria had issues with identity. Do you recall that? Had issues with rejection. She felt rejected all her life, lonely. And that loneliness and that emptiness within her drove her from one man to another. Jesus said, you have five husbands, not one. What was it that drove this woman from one man to another? It was the deep emotional need that she had for acceptance, affirmation, love, kindness that caused her to seek the love that she was so longing for in all the wrong places and in all the wrong people. That's why Jesus used the metaphor of the water springing up unto everlasting life. That spring of life will meet your own personal needs will meet your needs for identity will meet your needs for affirmation Identity has to do with who you are. Amen? And that's 
why Jesus spoke to her of the, of, of the, the water springing up to everlasting life. Now, her search for love would stop because the Spirit would minister to her in those areas. And that's what, when you initially get born again, the Spirit of God comes to live in you in a measure. Listen to me. That's not the baptism. That's receiving the Spirit in a measure because you're born of the Spirit. I recall when I first got born again, I was a broken man. 22, not yet 23 years of age, completely broken. Broken, spiritually broken, emotionally broken, physically broken, mentally broken every way. Rejected. I've never felt loved. In fact, my wife can bear witness. I cried for three whole days because of the sense of loneliness and the sense of rejection that came into my heart living in a foreign country as a young boy, not being able to speak the language, being mocked and rejected at school because I couldn't communicate, dropped into an environment that was foreign to me, and I began to hate everything around me. And into my spirit, into my heart, crept this loneliness and rejection. Imagine a person like that getting married. That's why I gave my wife 18 months of hell on earth. Because I was looking to her to give me what I needed most. No one could do that. But when I got born again, I was no longer broken. The love of God came into my heart. The peace of God flooded my soul and my brokenness were restored. That's why I don't understand people who profess to be Christians and they ever continue to be broken. When Christ comes in you, He heals you. He brings peace into your life. He brings His love. He brings His affirmation and acceptance. I don't understand that. Then I question, are they really born again? Have they really been touched by the Spirit of God? Have they really repented of their sin? Because sometimes the lack of repentance hinders the process of restoration. It's not just praying a prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, while you remain unrepented and unbroken. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. But I recall my repentance was genuine. I wept before God. I was broken. I was humbled. There was no further for me to go. I've reached the bottom of the bottom. And when Christ came into my life, all that brokenness, all that unrest, all that anxiety, all that fear just vanished. And that's what happens. The water that I shall give him will become a fountain of spirit of living water springing up to everlasting life. That fountain touched my emotions, touched my spirit, touched my body, touched everything around, even touched my relationships. And when I got baptized in the Spirit, then rivers began to flow into the community that I was part of. Her search for purpose and meaning in life ended. 
That's why she ran all the way. That's why I believe those who are truly touched by the Lord become fiery evangelists. You don't have to <laughs> coax them. You don't have to force them. You don't have to pressure them to share the gospel. They, they naturally, when, they, when you've been touched by the Lord Himself and by His Spirit and you've been restored, the most natural thing for you to do is go, is go and tell somebody about it. And I think we need to re-examine the new births in our churches. Are you really born again? I'm not talking about feelings and emotions. Hello? I know there are some who have drastic experiences like mine, but there are some who just gently flow into the life of faith. But nevertheless, you've been touched. You've been ministered to by the water of life within you. You cannot remain broken. You cannot remain depressed. You cannot remain disillusioned if truly Christ has touched your spirit and your soul. Hello? Are you with me this morning? Receiving Jesus and being born again by His Spirit settles the issue of identity and inheritance. Identity refers to who we are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new in our spirit. New creation. Who are you? You hear people of, he went out into the world to find out who he was, who he is. I tell you, you don't need to go into the world to find out who you are. The Bible tells you who you are if you're born again. You are a new creation in Christ. You have the life and the nature of God within you. So identity refers to who you are in Christ Jesus. Inheritance refers to what you receive because of Christ Jesus. I've been accepted in the Beloved. I don't have to perform. I don't have to pray 10 hours a day. I don't have to read the six chapters of the Bible a day. I just, God accepted me. God loved me. God brought me into His family, not because of who I am and because of what I do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. So it deals with issues of identity. It deals with issues of inheritance and acceptance. Amen. If you're born again, and you have no revelation of what really happened to you or who you really are, you will continue to have problems with rejection and inferiority complexes. So what you need to do then is get into the Word of God and find out what happened to you when you got born again. And those issues will dissolve like wax before the fire. And the river of life, rivers rather, of living water, refer to the life of God flowing out of us, bringing healing and deliverance and restorations to those, restoration to those around us. When we have been ministered to and healed by the ministry of the Spirit, then we are ready to minister life to those around us. Amen? Receiving the baptism of the Spirit puts us in a position to minister to others on a supernatural level through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. The revelation or the realization of us carrying the life of God within us will change the way we think and the way we act 
and the way we live life, especially around those who are desperately seeking re relief from the oppressive yokes of the devil. It will change the way you see life, it will change the way you view yourself, and it will change the way you see others. What the realization and the revelation of having within the rivers of life. Scripture says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, in closing, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Because Jesus was anointed with what? With the Holy Spirit and with power. What was he doing? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Notice that healing is a good thing. Amen? Just as Jesus was anointed by the Spirit, so are we anointed by the same Holy Spirit today, and we ought to be going around doing what? Doing good and doing what? Healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Do you see that? As he is, so are we in this world. Why? Jesus had no more given to him than you and I have today. The same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that anointed you and me. The difference is Jesus had far more knowledge in how to operate and how to live in the supernatural than we do today. But nevertheless, same anointing, same Holy Spirit, we ought to be walking around doing good, healing people, ministering to people, helping people. You don't have to be a pastor to do that, just a disciple. We have lowered the standards today in our churches, and we have compromised truth. Amen? Well, you may protest and you say, Pastor, I disagree with you. I mean, that was Jesus, and argue with the fact that you can do likewise. But you can argue all you like against the truth. The truth always prevails. Listen to the truth. Jesus said, most assuredly, John 14, 12, I say to you, he who believes in me, how many believe in Jesus? Can I see our hands once again, please? Yes, I'm a believer, Lord. That's you. The works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Do you believe that? Someone asked, what is that greater works, Lord? Well, Let's do the works he did, and then we'll find out what greater works are. <laughs> he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. Who? The believer. Not the apostle, not the bishop, not the archbishop, the believer. You know, when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I went to the bishop of, of the, um, the flock that I was part of, and I, and I gave my testimony to him, receiving the Holy Spirit. He said, don't blaspheme around me. I've been 40 years on this road, and I haven't received the baptism. And you, you came the other day, and you tell me you received the baptism of the Spirit, or you have the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemy. 
He literally told me that. Now, that's ignorance gone to seed. And he was the bishop. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. There's only one thing for us to do, just one. You forget everything I said? Just remember this. What is that thing? Believe what Jesus said and act on his words. That's it. Just believe. Believe that when you lay hands on someone who's sick and in pain and struggling, believe that Jesus will do his part if you do your part by faith. Believe that when someone is in need of comfort and encouragement, believe that God will give you the words and step out in faith. Question the person. Encourage the person. I don't know what to say. Well, that's unbelief. But the Spirit within you will give you words. You're not alone, folks. We're not alone. We have the Helper within us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? And in closing our service today, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. And we're going to partake of the bread and the wine as we commemorate and celebrate our covenant with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomegaint.org.za.